your financial plan will be tested time after time. You need a plan you know will withstand the test of time. Welcome to the Tempest podcast with Daniel Pakin, Robert Schlesinger and the rest of the team from Tempest Financial Group. In this podcast, we help business owners and families create a financial plan rooted in fundamental financial principles. Join us for this journey where we explore time-tested financial, retirement and tax strategies built to protect, save and grow through a lifelong relationship. Let the show begin. All right, let's kick it off. Welcome to our audience to our fifth episode that we are shooting here. Uh, So far, we've gone over uh, some of the higher level fundamentals of our financial planning process. We've talked about liability insurance with Michael Silverman as our guest. We talked about the importance of income protection with Pete, Pete Heckman and Chris Weber, our Tempest MD specialists. We talked about legal documents and the importance of making sure you have your wills and guardians and all of that selected, especially when you have uh, families. But even if you don't, that stuff is still really, really important. And today we have a a special guest, our um, uh, other partner, Craig Katz here, joining us to really dive into the life insurance conversation and get into that. So I'm going to pass it over to Dan here to give Craig his... um, warm and fuzzy introduction. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. All right. Big, uh, big topic today. Life insurance, definitely a big gray area for a lot of people. It's one of those things that if you Google it, you'll see a lot of opinions. There's a lot of thoughts of how much should you have? What are the types? We're going to, we're going to take a deep dive into all of that today. And to help us do that is uh, the third partner of Tempest, my good friend, Craig Katz. How you doing, Craig? Hey, guys. Thanks for finally having me on. And I look forward to the conversation. Appreciate it. Took some convincing. Yeah. Just try and stay on track today. Okay, Craig. (laughs) So I've known Craig for 16 years. Uh, It was a friend before he was a partner. But Craig has been doing this for 19 years we created Tempest together, probably going back eight or nine years. I don't even know at this point, nine years ago. And we've built this team out of 17 people. So we're really proud of it. And, you know, it all goes back to me and Craig starting out with the vision of this whole thing. But, um, yep, Craig's been doing this. Craig also three-time national champion uh, lacrosse, uh, went to Princeton, won three national championships. So, a fun fact about Craig, he also has a twin, but um, <laughs> all right, let's let's cut to it. Uh, life insurance. We like to start out basic, Craig, and then go a little bit deeper. So let's start out basic. Like what is life insurance? Yeah. So to me, life insurance is two things. The financial answer is that it's a legal contract between a policyholder and an insurance company where the owner pays a premium. And if the insured dies, the life insurance company pays a death benefit to the beneficiary of that contract. More importantly, and I think it encompasses a lot of our approach in our conversations, to me, life insurance is a sign of being financially responsible. Most importantly, a sign of love and stewardship to make sure that your beneficiaries could live the life that, that you would have provided had you been alive and providing for your family through your income throughout your working years. 
And our, I think the three of us and all of our clients would agree that the right type of life insurance should and is the backbone and foundation of, of a sound financial plan. Got it. Good. And I think, you know, when life insurance can do a lot of different things in different situations, but I think the way we talk about it with our clients is really the main purpose of life insurance is to replace income, right? Is to replace the income that that would have gone to a family. It's a present day value, which leads me to my next question for Rob, something that comes up often is how do you figure out how much life insurance you should have? Yeah, it's a it's a great question and it comes up in you know every client conversation when we're talking about life insurance and I'll often hear things like we get it cost is always in the background and I don't want to be overinsured and one of the things we know is it's actually impossible. There's no such thing as being overinsured in really any realm of the insurance world. If you wanted $50 million of life insurance, let's say, and you were willing to pay for it and you don't qualify for that amount of coverage, an insurance company is not going to give it to you. Again, even if you're willing to pay for it, there's actually formulas here. So Dan, let's just play this out a little bit here. Let's just say that, you know, you were on your way home from work one day and, um, you know, you, you call, you call Nikki, your wife on your way home and she asked you to stop at at the store because she's had a day and a half with the children and on your way into that you know liquor store you're probably going for the tequila if that's the case and you know you're you're coming out and you see the 18 wheeler you know budweiser truck for example restocking the store and that budweiser truck totally wipes you out and you're off the face of the earth what does nikki do in that situation what happens was the Budweiser truck driver having a couple of the supply in the back as well? Maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> I, always either, that was, I always thought that was part of the story, but <laughs> either way, you're gone. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, she's she's gonna say, "I'm suing you. I'm suing you. My husband's gone. He was he was gonna make X amount of money, and now that's not gonna come to my family. So there's gonna be a big lawsuit. There's gonna be a big lawsuit. And how much do you think Nikki's gonna sue for? everything she can get as much as she could get. So when we talk about life insurance with our clients, that's really along the context of how we want them to think about it. And what happens in that situation is, you know, the, in a lawsuit like that, the two opposing attorneys are going to sit across the table from each other and they're going to agree. They're going to agree on a few things. They're going to agree that Dan was a certain age. I won't reveal your age. And Dan was making a certain amount of money. And they put a formula to that. That formula is called someone's economic or human life value. So if we play this out, let's just use an example here. We'll take Dan out of the equation. Someone that is in their mid-30s, let's say, making $250,000 and was going to work for another 25 years, right, to age 60 in this example. That would be a total of $6,250,000. That's where that lawsuit would start, right? And then there's all the other ancillary things like Dan was a father and a coach and all these other things, right? So that all goes into the equation. But the two facts are the income and the age. And that to us, when it comes to life insurance, is really what optimal is about. 
you'll often hear things like a needs-based analysis approach, which is the mortgage is, you know, $787,000 and college is going to cost $432,000 and all of these crooked numbers and all these different events. And if that's the way you determine the amount of life insurance that you ultimately purchase, you're going to be wrong every single time because there's so many variables in that equation, right? So we come from an approach of really what is optimal. And optimal is replacing all of the future dollars that you were going to bring in had you still been here. Great. And I know in the background of this conversation is always cost, right? Because, um, you know, if life insurance didn't cost anything, how much of it would you want to have? All of it. Of course. Um, but I think that's one of the advantages of when clients work with you and all of us is we understand the importance of this protection, but there are a lot of strategies and ways to keep the cost low to structure life insurance, which is why it's obviously really important to work with an advisor, certainly when it comes to life insurance. And and Dan, before before we go on, just just taking that back um, one one step further around why is that the amount? Why is that someone's economic life value? And it comes to what is that money really meant to do? And I know we're going to get into that a little bit more as we dive deeper here. But when you take that formula and that example with the $250,000 income earner, that's going to do that for the 25 years. So it's over $6 million. A surviving spouse doesn't just take that money and start spending it down. That money needs to last forever, right? So what people tend to do in that situation, if they've planned properly for this type of event, is they will take that money and conservatively invest it and live off of the interest. So that $6,250,000 that went to the surviving spouse, if you took a 4% conservative interest rate off of that money, it would replace the $250,000 of income a year. And financially, that person has been replaced. That's good. Many people think when <clears throat> there is a life insurance claim, oh, they take that money and it's like just spent spent down to zero and it goes towards, you know, college and all that. But, you know, really what it's doing is it needs to generate income. It's replacing income, not to mention the surviving spouse. Maybe they're not working now. Maybe they had to take time off and they haven't been able to save for their retirement. Mm -hmm. So that money is also for their benefit and their retirement and so on. Yeah, um, I, I would yeah, add one, the one thing outside of the calculations that that's very important to mention is, is the the fact that it just provides freedom and options versus a surviving spouse being forced to make decisions that they otherwise wouldn't want to make, especially in the short term after a death. For example, we've all heard in the in the field you know, my spouse is working or she stopped working, but she has her degrees and licenses and she could go back to work. Right. Think about think about the pressure of those decisions that need to be made in that time period where if you think about what you would want to happen, the presence of that delivery or the death benefit gives them options and gives them the ability to decide whether they want to go back to work or when if not have to go back to work. And I think that's a very important message. Yeah. And, and Craig, I'll also hear, oh, he or she will just remarry, right? 
Like you don't want to be in a situation where you feel forced to remarry so that you can replace that income that is no longer coming in. That's, that's not, that to us is not prudent planning. Yeah. Or, you know, another, another one that we laugh at, which we've all heard is, you know, I don't want to leave my wife rich. Right. But if you go back to the core of what Rob was saying, you're not leaving her any wealthier than you would have provided to her and your family had you been working. You're just allowing them to live that lifestyle, which is what tends to be the way that the people that we work with think because they care about their family. And I think to that point also, when people think about life insurance, it's, oh, I'll get hit by a bus and I'll die the next day. It typically doesn't work like that. Oftentimes there's a diagnosis and you know it could be three years, four years with a terminal illness before you pass. The, we always say the life insurance starts paying out the day you get the diagnosis because now are you are you trying more experimental treatment that isn't covered with insurance? Is your spouse now taking off of work to be with the kids more? So all of that gives you the ability when you know there's coverage that's coming in that'll be delivered when that awful event occurs. Craig, I know you have had some unfortunate experiences of actually delivering a claim. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, like, like Dan said, unfortunately I, I had two claims just in 2023. The, the payment of a claim is, is simply the delivery of, of the death benefit of the life insurance policy or policies uh, in a tax-free manner to the beneficiary named on the contract. Uh, and that beneficiary can choose to either receive that benefit in a lump sum, or there are other options, uh, several options, one of which just to mention would be a stream of a stream of payments over the course of time. I know we discussed a little bit about what the death benefit needs to do and what optimal looks like, but like we said, traditionally, my clients want to make sure that their family can live the life that they would have lived had the deceased partner or spouse had provided to them over the course of their working years through retirement. Um, you know, my my personal claim experience was a was a close friend. Without getting into the numbers, I could tell you that without the life insurance policy in place, the family would be forget about the emotional part is hard to get over, but if we could help with the financial side of it, I know without the life insurance that the surviving spouse definitely would have had to sell their house, definitely would have had to make difficult decisions around their children attending the colleges that they were at. And the peace of mind that this provided and the financial security that the life insurance provided allowed them absolutely to maintain the life that they would have lived if death did not occur. And there is zero chance that that would have happened without the life insurance in place, even with the traditional way of putting money into the 401k and investment accounts and other assets that I had that they had had in place. You know, the last thing that anyone thinks about is, you know, do I have enough in my 401k plan, for example, for my for my spouse to live off of the presence of the life insurance was everything. Yeah. It it basically just, it gives permission to just mourn 
where you don't have to worry about, oh my God, what are we going to do now? You can just mourn in peace. Okay. Let's get a little bit more uh, uplifting. It's pretty, pretty dour so far. So I'm going to talk a little bit about types. This comes up often. I guess in talking about types, the original life insurance, I think I read it in a book somewhere that it, it's like the ancient Babylonians, I think were like the first people to create life insurance. And it was it was meant for when their husbands would go off to war, oftentimes they would not come back. So the Babylonians would pool money together that would go towards the surviving spouse of a soldier that didn't come back. That was basically the original concept of life insurance. It's really not all that different now. It's the same concept. It's just using the law of large numbers. Um, and it's a it's a pooled amount of money that goes towards uh, a, a, an awful event. If someone were to pass, an insurance company is that pool. Um, modern day life insurance existed for a long, long time. Oh, I think over two, almost 200 years. There are some companies that in America that have had life insurance. And really, originally, there were two types. It was term insurance, and there was whole life insurance. Term insurance, pretty easy to understand. You, you It's basically like renting. You pay uh, a certain amount of time. There's a periods of term insurance. You can get it in 10-year, 20-year, 30-year. If you die in that time, the death benefit pays out. If you don't die during that time, the premiums go away. There's no real economic benefit to it. That is the most popular type of life insurance. It is the least outlay for the most death benefit. It should be part of a plan. Again, if we're talking about human life value, you want to try and maximize that death benefit if you can. The other type of life insurance is permanent life insurance. And there are different types of permanent life insurance. There is things called variable life insurance, universal life insurance, uh, equity indexed uh, life insurance. All of these are basically variations of whole life insurance that have come out over time. Some of them are tied to the stock market. Some of them are tied to interest rates. Some of them are tied to options. And there are pros and cons to each. They can make sense in different situations. The product we primarily use for permanent life insurance is whole life insurance. And I'll kind of let you guys get into that a little bit more, but it's really because of the guarantees and the certainty that it provides, not only from an asset perspective, if you structure whole life, the money you put into it, not only do you get it all back, but you it actually makes a decent return over time. And there's a death benefit that's guaranteed if it's funded properly. Let's talk about that. Craig, can you talk a little bit about whole life insurance as an asset and how you talk about it with your clients. Yeah, sure. I think I think it's important to note, and I, I know you mentioned it, but the three of us, especially for our listeners, it's important to know that we all own a lot of whole life insurance and we all own a lot of term life, right? So this isn't about one versus the other. What we do is educate our clients on the differences and most of them elect to have a combination of term life and whole life. First and foremost, whole life, as Dan mentioned, is has a guaranteed death benefit that is in place for the rest of your life. And Rob's gonna get into that a little bit more about what the presence of that death benefit allows for, not just for the protection years when you know traditionally your children are younger and you're working, 
but how it really enhances and unlocks the rest of your wealth on your balance sheet. Uh, but from an asset perspective, whole life insurance, like Dan mentioned, it's a guaranteed asset that should be the foundation of one's plan because it accomplishes so much for you. One, it provides a predictable rate of return, right? It has a guaranteed growth rate that is uncorrelated to market risk and any other risky asset that some of our clients, including ourselves, would be investing in over the course of their lifetime. So think about an upwards compounding curve that you know is going to occur throughout the rest of your life as a foundation. Okay. Equally important, and I think a lot of people underestimate this part of it, it's liquid. The cash value is liquid and accessible over the course of your lifetime. So unlike retirement accounts, for example, where we see a lot of our clients contributing, putting money, and they should, but that is money, especially for our younger clients, that is locked up for a very long time, that is inaccessible and will prevent them from taking advantages of opportunities that will present themselves for other investment opportunities or life events that will occur over their over their lifetime. Okay, this liquid and accessible cash value can be used for college planning. That's a big conversation that we have, right? Everyone with young children always think about future events like retirement. Probably the biggest question we get, like, what should I, what should I be doing for college? I think it's not for today's conversation, but a, a bigger conversation to have with your advisor about how the advantages of using cash value life insurance as, as one of your college planning vehicles. Okay, like I said, it could be borrowed against for other opportunities that are going to present themselves over the course of their lifetime. And the one unique aspect of whole life insurance as an asset is that it's self-completing, right? There are riders that we attach to all of our whole life contracts that add additional benefits for disability protection, and now more recently and equally important, long-term care, right? So it's very important that that's one of the only vehicles that provides that ancillary protection that you don't get in any other financial instrument. Craig, let me pause you for a second just to chime in on that. I love that term self-completing. I, I use that a lot with, with my clients as well, where when we think about, and again, in the bigger context outside of just the life insurance conversation, our job, you know, what we really are tasked with with our clients is building a plan that works under any and all conditions and circumstances. And when you use the term self-completing, right, I just want our audience to really understand what you mean by that. So it's a life insurance policy, right? It has this added benefit of the cash value that you're getting into, which is super valuable. But if you ever die throughout your life, the death benefit pays out to your family. If you ever get sick or hurt and you can't work, this waiver of premium rider that you mentioned is going to have the insurance company from their balance sheet fund your policy for you which goes into this liquid account that you can use and access for different events throughout your life. So I think it's just important. I wanted to clarify what you meant by self-completing. That's huge when we think about building a bulletproof plan. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. And I know you position whole life insurance, so it fits in there. And we all know that the asset that is probably most likely utilized throughout time is actually the life insurance where 
you, we've had clients use it for investment opportunities. We've had clients use it for financing. We've had clients use it for emergencies, all, all those different examples. Okay, Rob. So let's talk about life insurance in retirement, right? Let's talk about what that, how that death benefit is so valuable. So most people think when it comes to life insurance, when I'm older, I won't need life insurance. My my kids will be grown. Hopefully my mortgage is paid off. Why would I need life insurance later on? Yeah, so definitely um, a, a common traditional school of thought around the, the primary purpose of life insurance is to provide that family with that insurance should something unforeseen happen and a spouse die prematurely. And most people that we we talk to aren't necessarily thinking long term like what does retirement look like what is you know even estate planning down the road look like and how might that conversation change if we simply switch the mindset to you may not actually need life insurance in retirement right i can get behind that you know a lot of people think well the mortgage should be paid off by then the kids should all be through school by then you know all of these kind of variables that exist and even if the all of those are true i don't know anybody that hasn't refinanced their mortgage in the last 5 years in this lower interest rate environment that currently doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Um, but that 30-year mortgage could turn into a 35-year mortgage if there was a refinance that took place. So all of those are variables. We don't. There might actually still be a need for life insurance beyond the age of 60 or 65. But let's just you know put that aside for now and transition the conversation to why might you want it? Why might someone want to enter retirement knowing that an insurance company is on the hook to pay millions of income tax-free dollars to a surviving to, to a family whenever it is they pass. How can that change things? So to make this uh, relevant to, to our listeners, just gonna go through an example that I share with clients all the time. And uh, Dan, I'll, I'll, I'll use you again, if that's okay. And this is gonna be a little awkward since we're partners, but I'm gonna pretend for a moment to be your boss, okay? And I'm going to call you into my office. Okay. Really, you know, it's December 12th. We're shooting this, this episode and you've had a great year, right? Really, really happy with the work that you've done, your performance. And because of that, I want to reward you. I want to give you a substantial bonus that's going to hit your account on December 31st. It's literally sitting in escrow. Let's call it a million dollars. Okay sitting in escrow, waiting to hit your account on the 31st of December. So in call it two weeks or so, right? And you know this, there's nothing that could get in the way of this happening. And you're really happy about it, right? You go home, you tell your wife, and maybe you guys were booking some trip, right? And you're looking at flights and hotels. Knowing that that million dollars is coming in, would you change any of those decisions that you're making? How might that impact it? Vegas, maybe. Yeah, yeah no, I'm. We're. It's going to be a nicer vacation. We're going to spend a little bit more. We're going to, you know, indulge a little bit more than we would have. Right. So, and oftentimes I'll hear, "Well, I'm not really someone that's going to spend money until I really have it." This is real. This is happening. This is a contract, right? 
And maybe it's first class tickets. Maybe it's staying at the Four Seasons, you know, whatever that looks like for you. What happens is that future promise that I'm making to you, that future delivery of cash, it becomes alive to you today. It becomes real to you today before it actually happens. And that's really what permanent life insurance does in a retirement plan. That future promise of, in this case, millions of dollars that arrives at, at your death, it changes some of the decisions you could make in retirement. We refer to this as permission slip. It gives you the permission to spend your other assets with a lot more freedom and a lot less worry and more certainty throughout the course of your life. So just as an example, there's a lot of different variations of this, but what a lot of people, what a lot of retirees are forced to do in retirement is take the accumulation of their assets, invest it conservatively, and live off of the interest of it. With this type of strategy that involves permanent life insurance, you have the permission to not just live off of the interest, but actually spend that money down and have a much greater retirement income knowing that it will all get replaced. So knowing that guarantee of knowing that money is going to come in can completely change the way you spend and treat your other assets. Whereas you couldn't do those things if you didn't have that promise of that death benefit. That's exactly right. So it allows you to spend more, it allows you to gift more, it allows you to prepare for estate planning, all of those things. Mm -hmm. it It also allows you to combat a lot of the unknowns that will present themselves. Right. Such as market returns, inflation, unexpected costs, family uh, emergency, your your child needs money for something, all those things, a medical procedure that isn't covered, all that. Always heard, uh, you know, Rob kind of alluded to it, but I've always heard and I love the message of like the minute you don't need the life insurance anymore, it becomes more valuable to you and your family because of what Rob just talked about, right? The ability to to un- unlock, consume and enjoy your assets, knowing that you're, you have that asset there to replenish all the other money that you should be enjoying in retirement. Yep. So let me ask you guys this, what are some of the rebuttals? Like, what are the reasons that people don't do this? What are some of the arguments that you hear against not doing permanent life insurance? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, Dan. And I think that the important thing is that whole life insurance has to be implemented in the context of someone's overall plan. And there's typically a lack of education that goes into the utility of life insurance. I'd say like the two biggest rebuttals that are out there that I come across are rate of return of, ca- of cash value life insurance. Why put money into this life insurance contract when you can get a better rate of return in the market, for example? That's true. You probably can and should get a better rate of return in the market for your clients. We certainly do for ours, but I've never come across a client that wants 100% of their plan in the market. We talk a lot about promise-based assets and risk-based assets, and whole life insurance falls into the promise-based assets, which should be a part of someone's overall allocation. So I think that's one big point to hit on that people need to really understand. Yeah, I I'll I agree 100%. I think the the 
I know doing this almost 20 years and having evidence of it that the presence of both permanent whole life insurance and a proper investment strategy makes someone's financial plan stronger than just having one or the other. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there or a lot of guidance from from other advisors that will talk about, you know, doing better here versus there. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's balance. It's, it's about balance. Right. It's all, so, about, it's all about that. My approach with my clients is all about balance, finding the right balance between the two and knowing them and how they work together will enhance your financial strategy and plan versus just having one versus the other. And, and we're going to touch on that a little bit more when we get to our, our investment approach and strategy. The other one, Dan, that I'll bring up briefly, because we're going to get into this more later on is the people saying, I won't need life insurance in retirement, right? So we're going to touch on that later on in, in the permission slip conversation where th that might be true. But when we think about the value of having permanent death benefit throughout retirement and what that does and allows and unlocks in retirement, we look at that a lot, right? Really having our clients understand what that looks like and how that impacts things. Yeah, I, th I think it's I think it's also important to note that you know if if the cash flow isn't there, right? It's not whole life insurance is not and should not be recommended to everyone, right? It's not for people that can't find the cash flow or have the cash flow to pay the premiums, right? That's where term life insurance would be the perfect fit. But when recommended, like you said, Rob, in within a macro view of someone's plan, someone's plan, you know, with some thought behind it, right? That that's that's where it's the right fit. A lot of the financial advice that comes out there, there are there are different philosophies and approaches, and a lot of that approach is based on the investment dominant approach, where you know it's really market driven and there really isn't a good understanding of life insurance in that approach and oftentimes it's yeah just get the cheapest stuff you can get and let the market do what it does and the benefit of working with us is obviously we do have a good understanding of investments and how to grow your wealth in that area but we also have a very good understanding of insurance and the benefits that insurance can have in a plan we're able to educate our clients with understanding how that fits into a plan and that results in then typically doing it. So again, when working with somebody, really important to take that macro approach where you're understanding investments and you're understanding the protection components. Great. Rob, what is entailed in getting life insurance? How does someone get life insurance? Yeah. What's the process, right? So um, you can't just call up an insurance company and say you want you know, five or 10 or whatever million dollars of life insurance. There's a bit of a process to actually get life insurance. You have to apply for it. So we always encourage our clients to do this sooner than later, even if the need sometimes doesn't exist yet, because as we get older, our health doesn't tend to get better. So the earlier you purchase life insurance, the healthier you are, the younger you are, the more efficient 
the life insurance premiums and the asset of cash value actually performs. So there is an application process. There is an underwriting process. I don't think we have to get into the weeds on that for this conversation. Yeah, Rob, Rob, one thing I'll add, because I think it's very important. Once, once you have a contract in place, it can never be taken away from you. That's right. Right. That's right. So like when you think about the younger clients, for example, who end up moving forward or anyone, right? Once you, there's a reason why there's this underwriting might be a little bit, you know, on paper more difficult than you would think than just checking a box, right? They have to do their due diligence. But once they make an offer to you and you accept that contract, even if something changed the day after you sign the contract, they can never take that contract slash policy away from you, which is huge. Mm-hmm. So you were saying, Rob, you have to apply for it. What's entailed with applying for it? What is? So yeah, I I think we touched on it. It's really just an application. You mm-hmm. you apply with an insurance company. You fill out an application, and um, depending on how much life insurance you want to get, there are there could be a medical exam that you have to take. So you know we send an examiner to your home. It's just like a physical exam. You know you pee in a cup, take your blood, ask you some medical questions. And uh, it could take a little while to get an approval. It could take four, six, eight weeks in some cases to get approved for life insurance. So what we typically do, the way we work with our clients- Sometimes a lot longer. So yeah, sure. We've all, we've all seen that. So what we'll typically do with our clients is we identify that there is some need for life insurance and we're going to figure out what that looks like, what the types are, what the amounts are. We're going to have conversations about that while the underwriting is going on. So as soon as that offer, that approval that Craig alluded to comes in, we're ready to go and we could implement this and then you're locked in. So the insurance company has to medically underwrite you to qualify for this. And then based on that, you you get a health rating, right? It'll be like preferred, preferred plus, standard, all those. That health rating in conjunction with your age, your sex, the amount of insurance, the type of insurance is ultimately what determines what the premium will be. That's right. Got it. Okay. And I can personally tell you just last month, seems to be the theme here. I had two clients, one who developed a congenital heart disease issue and another one who's a female who was diagnosed with breast cancer. So you will lose your insurability one day. Everybody loses their insurability. It is not something you can always get. And unfortunately for these people, they can't get life insurance now moving forward. So the time to get life insurance is when you don't need it, right? That's when that's the proper time to get it. Okay. Want to finish up with a couple other life insurance topics before we're done here. Craig, uh, something that comes up sometimes is, should I own life insurance in a trust? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with a little disclosure that that decision should be made in conjunction with us and an estate planning attorney giving professional advice. But our, our general thought would be to share the advantages and disadvantages of using, typically when you talk about life insurance and trust work, the term irrevocable life insurance trust comes to the surface. Very simply, an irrevocable life insurance trust is a separate entity with its own tax ID that an individual or family can create. The advantage of that and the advantage of owning a life insurance policy inside of an irrevocable life insurance trust is that ultimately when the 
death benefit gets paid, it is now owned by that asset is owned by the trust and not by you. So it would not be calculated or included in your overall estate when, when that calculation occurs upon the death of the second spouse. Um, so it is a, it is a valuable and popular estate planning tool that's often talked about. I think it's also important to talk about the disadvantage of a trust in, you know, for clients is that, you know, we've talked a lot in this podcast and with our clients about the utilization and the advantages of that liquid asset, which is the cash value of a permanent whole life insurance policy. One of the things to be aware of is that owning life insurance in an irrevocable trust may restrict the ability for you, for you to use that cash for other reasons over the course of your lifetime that we've discussed, college planning, other investment opportunities, real estate, uh, et cetera. So it's just important for everyone to keep in mind the, the pros and the cons of using an irrevocable trust uh, when doing their life insurance planning. Yeah. And, and yeah. there are workarounds through that too, right? As far as access goes, I sure. think I think sure. the important theme here is to have good professionals around you, right? And really make sure you understand what you're doing, how you're structured, how you're positioned. But yeah, that's that's good info. Okay, Rob, we're we're coming up on 40 minutes here, so trying to see if you could do this uh in an abbreviated uh time, but um let's talk a little bit about the business world. You work with a lot of business owners. Mm -hmm. Um there's even corporations that use life insurance. Can you give a perspective on why business owners and how business owners use life insurance for different purposes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I will keep it brief. This could be a podcast in itself, right? But there, there are um, some fundamentals as a business owner, right? Most businesses have something called an operating agreement. I think of this as like kind of the playbook, the what if scenarios, what if this partner gets disabled? What if this partner dies? What happens to the business? What happens to the ownership of the business? What happens to the families of that person that uh, had the accident, right? Or whatever the case may be. So we talk to our business owner clients about having certain types of life insurance arrangements, um, some of which are buy-sell agreements, having appropriate key man insurance on uh, key employees, really about thinking of the secession planning and the protection planning of a business, just like you would for a family, right? So it's really about protecting and it's about the coordination of that operating agreement, valuation of company and the, the key players that are involved in that organization. Good. Yeah. So I think, uh, Rob, you said it, but I think we should, uh, the three of us should have its own podcast on that because I would argue that most business owners probably may have something in writing, but the majority of the business owners I meet with for the first time definitely have huge holes or gaps in this area of their planning. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of them have that operating agreement, but haven't fully thought out what happens if that operating agreement actually needed to come into play. How are we funding some of yep. those items. So the funding of those events is often most efficient done through insurance. Correct. Good. Good, and, good point. Uh, a lot of things to think about there. Even beyond that, there's life insurance that can be owned in retirement plans. I know you've done that, uh, mm -hmm. Rob. There's corporate-owned life insurance where companies own life insurance on individuals. So 
the realm of life insurance, uh, there's a lot there. Um, and yeah, it probably does merit its own podcast. But I think this was great today. I think it was a pretty good overview of life insurance and what to think about. You guys have anything to add? No, I, I think that's great. I think we'll probably have follow-ups on this. But no, I think that it's, you know, talking about life insurance with our clients isn't always the most riveting conversation. It's morbid, but it's very real. And we all know someone who knows someone, obviously us in this business, we're a little bit more familiar with it. But we, we got to make sure it's our responsibility to make sure that our clients are thinking about this in the right way and protecting themselves in the right way. And this life insurance podcast really concludes the protection items of our process. We're moving forward in some of the next episodes. We're going to talk a little bit more about strategy and investing and savings and things of that nature. So stay stay tuned, Craig. Thank you so much for for joining us today. You, you did great. I know. Yeah, I know you Craig. were really nervous about this. So. You stayed on track too. There were no. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, for, for the most part. But yeah, thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Um, you could find more information about us at tempest-financial.com. And uh, you know, if you have follow-up questions about life insurance, we're here to help. Thank you for listening to the Tempest podcast. Visit our website at tempest-financial.com or give us a call at 516-672- 0784. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Tempest Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PIS, Guardian, or Tempest Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Robert Schlesinger and Daniel Piankin are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Tempest Financial Group, LLC, is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Robert Schlesinger's California Insurance License Number 0H91023. Danielle Pinkins' California Insurance License Number 0I17252. The primary feature of whole life insurance is the death benefit. All whole life insurance policy guarantees are subject to the timely payment of all required premiums and the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Policy loans and withdrawals affect the guarantees by reducing the policy's death benefit and cash values. 
Some whole life policies do not have cash values in the first two years of the policy and don't pay a dividend until the policy's third year. Talk to your financial representative and refer to your individual whole life policy illustration for more information. Dividends are not guaranteed. They are declared annually by Guardian's Board of Director.